0: take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Welcome to
1: so it's been a while, but we've, we've covered a lot of stuff, uh, especially pertaining to COVID, uh, the mental health effects of it, effects of it in media. We kind of took a break. Um, But as we're going into the fall, kids are going back to school, people are starting to get worried about a second wave. I think one of the most overlooked topics, and it's something I've talked about on this on on a couple episodes, is not only the mental health impact of the pandemic moving forward, but the effect on the economy on business. So today, I'm really uh, happy to be joined by uh, my good friend, Mike Wood. He's an entrepreneur. Uh, business partner for Ottawa Special Events here in Ottawa and now turned lobbyist among a lot of other things. Mike, how are you?
0: I'm good, Ryan. How are you, man?
1: <laughs> Not too bad. Thank you. Um, I'm really curious. So like right off the bat, because I think a lot of people, and we were talking this off Mike, that uh, as especially young people, we don't understand business all that well. And when we see restaurants, the events business, you know, all these Places going out of business you know we don't understand the impact of it the true impact of it so right off the bat i just want to just get that right in the open when we see all these business closing and god forbid we go into a second lockdown and you know even more start closing like what does that mean to to canada to the states to the economies like what does that potential impact perhaps look like
0: Sure. So let me start off by saying thank you for having me on. I I truly appreciate it and giving me a voice to express for so many. One of my best friends owns a business in Ottawa and he, he puts it this way and I, I think it will maybe make people realize. So 10 years ago, September 23rd, I lost my mom. And until, so while your friends, You know, go through that process in life. People can empathize, they can be there for you, they can support you. But until you go through that process yourself, it's impossible to understand it. And so, having said that, kind of bringing it back to the topic at hand, if you haven't lost your paycheck during the pandemic, if you haven't known someone that's gotten COVID, while you can empathize and you can sympathize, It's impossible for you to understand the impacts that are on small business owners and the employees that have been laid off and still not rehired. So the overall impact of what we're seeing and there's a like, we, I know we have about an hour here, Ryan, we could probably, might be midnight. We're still rolling.
1: All the issues there. Yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. But you know, the thing is, is that you got to look at things in context and everybody's, uh, life kind of dictates their thoughts on on different things and what they've experienced and so on and so forth. For the, your listeners are like, we don't understand how businesses are suffering so hard. Uh, I want everybody to think about this one thing. The, everybody's mandated home. Everybody's working from home. I'm working from home. You're working from home. And what happens to the dry cleaner in that corporate tower downtown? What happens to that person that's running a sandwich store in a business park and all of their customers, by no fault of their own, have been sent home? And let's say your sandwich place is in the Saint Laurent business park and you live in Canada. Well, chances are you're not going to go, regardless of how good something is, you, know, you have your children at home, you've got all of this where you can't just pick up and go to Saint Laurent to get that sandwich you want. So as more and more people vacate the government buildings, the corporate towers, and are working from home, the more the coffee shop in the corner has no customers, the more the cafeteria person that owns this little cafeteria in the corporate uh, center, they, they don't have their customers anymore. So just imagine that you were in that position, and you basically, you know, figuratively, somebody pulled the fire alarm, Everybody went running out of the building, but the thing is this time they never came back. And and that's one of the major problems that small business is facing right now.
1: I know you've been meeting, you know, you've been on the phone and having meetings with uh, ministers and, and people of, you know, multiple layers of government, uh, other business owners. Um, you put out a fantastic op-ed, a, a two op-eds actually in the Ottawa citizen, which uh, Thank you would share, um, but it really opened my eyes to, All the different things, like, basic. from what I understand, correct me if I'm wrong, but businesses were told to close down. Everyone's doing their part for, you know, the public health good. But really, businesses didn't really receive any support uh, in terms of, you know, keeping the business afloat. I'm unsure of any, I think there was a loan program from what I understand. There's a wage subsidy, but as we've all been told to stay home and, you know, I think a lot of people are under the impression now that we're in stage three here in Canada, like businesses are opening up that like, oh, everything's back to normal again for businesses. That's really not truly the case. And it's in the op-ed, but I'll let you explain better here. Like you, businesses are still under, a lot of businesses, especially, you know, customer service are still under tremendous amounts of pressure and could still potentially lose their business even though we've unlocked some of the limitations that that were set on them?
0: Sure. So I don't really view it as phase one, two, and three. I view it as phase one A, one B, one C because we haven't had these massive um, reopenings, right? And then I would picture phase three being, okay, we're virtually back to normal. So you're right that there has been some support that support did come in what they call the Canadian emergency benefit account, the CBA loan. And the problem with the CBA loan was, and Ryan, I'll, I'll be honest with you. um, The money flowed quickly and these programs were developed quickly because they knew there was an emergency situation at hand and that, you know, not only businesses were going to be financially devastated, but so were just families, right? So that, you know, the CERB came out, uh, the Siba loan, like we're talking about, but the Siba loan, the word loan is, is an issue with me. You know, this was not my fault. I didn't do anything to cause this shutdown. So why am I borrowing money to hang on? The other scenario is that it was a blanket $40,000 loan. So a business that has a million dollars operating costs versus a business that has $50,000 operating cost have two totally, completely different needs, obligations, so on and so forth. Bigger rent space, uh, bigger product acquisition, so on and so forth. And the problem that you know I see with the CBA loan is that it should have been on a sliding scale. So that if you were between X and Y in terms of your operating costs, then you were given this amount. If you were between A and B, you were given this amount. And while I understand the government did try to put in something quickly, $40,000 is a blanket uh, solution nationally, because forget the fact that businesses have different obligations. A business in uh, just up the road, you know, let's call it Belleville or something, has completely different obligations in Vancouver, Toronto, Ottawa, the large cities. So that should have all been done on a sliding scale. The wage subsidy is decent. Uh, They've extended it, which is good. They've extended the SIBA loan application as well, too. But, uh, you know, the the thing is, is that we're we're looking at this right now saying, okay, well, the $40,000 came and went. I was on a radio interview today and I was with somebody and they said that that $40,000 lasted them 17 days. Mm -hmm. That was it based on their operating costs. And it was a loan. So, then there's the FedDev, the Regional Relief Fund, which was put together. I applied for that June 27th. i had heard nothing. There's no mechanism in place for me to call and say, hi, I'm just checking on the status of my application. Just goes to a call center. So, because I'm a little bit um, aggressive, I don't want to say the word again. That's not the right word, but uh, I ended up looking up the FedDev in LinkedIn. I found a lady that worked there. I took her name. I put it into the government electronic directory service, found her phone number, and I I called her and I said, listen, you know, this is where I'm at. I applied on June 27th, so two months ago, I've heard nothing. And she says, okay, I'll look into it. At the same time, I called an MP, which I'm sure will lead into the next little bit of this. And I said, look, I, I need some assistance. I need somebody from your team to make an inquiry phone call. So with those two things happening, I did get an email yesterday saying, your application has been received. Well, thank you. And that they're overwhelmed with applications and they'll get back to us shortly. So, you know, there's other things too that need to happen. There needs to be no fault bankruptcy. So that one of the big things that we're gonna notice and, and you're gonna hear more and more about it in the media is that even if a business protected itself behind a corporation, Okay. Which many do. So, you know, this word corporation is, is an ugly word to some, but I, Ottawa special Alliance is a corporation where that's just how we're structured. And so we took out loans pre COVID on equipment to grow our business, grow the economy, and they have personal guarantees attached to them. So what that means is if the business fails by no fault of my own, any other small business owner in Ottawa, across Canada, the banks are going to call personal guarantees on these loans. Mm. And then you start looking at people losing their homes and their assets. That's for my op-ed. And that is a very, very real thing.
1: Yeah, no. And and definitely want to get to all of that. that. Cause one of the most striking things from that op-ed was um, if the, you, you know, the business was to go bankrupt that, you know, all the like, it would affect you personally. And I don't think a lot of people realize that, that you've sunk, whether it's equity or put liens on on your house or, or whatever to start your business and in, in your dream, that all of this is now, like basically can be taken back and you couldn't have done anything. And going back to the, I know you didn't say the stages, but as we're now, we're in September. So um, I know the student loan uh, freeze is, is, coming to an end. Um, CERBs coming to an end and transitioning. As you mentioned, the, the loans were transitioning. I know the all that stuff is going, um, you know, everything's transitioning to more back to what it was a little bit before pre-COVID. Restaurants, you know, they're still not at capacity. Movie theaters aren't at capacity. Gyms aren't at capacity. Um, stores have to, you know, people are still, I, I think a lot of people forget, we're still under a state of emergency in the Recommendation is to stay home if you don't need to go out. It's a little loose on that. So when you put that up, and and I was just reading through, I'm like, even as all this assistance is ending, and I don't know if they announced any subsequent help or not. It's still like businesses are still going to be struggling, but then now all the support is pretty much like dried up. Like until we truly open back up at capacity, where everything was back to normal. You know these businesses are still going to need help because they base their budgets and their operating on on what it was, before, you know, when they could actually get the amount of customers that they they were supposed to get theoretically.
0: One hundred percent, and with this being the start of September, what's due the first of the month? Mortgages and and rent, and the and the thing is, is that the minister of finance yesterday and the minister of small business. Made no announcement about the SECRA program, which is the rent relief program being continued. Uh, This is going to lead to a crushing amount of bankruptcies. Mm -hmm. So, and they were saying that they were aware of the rent, but although the program had to be redesigned to give the landlord the power to decide that they were going to opt in or opt out was not right. You know, I was having a conversation, somebody said, Wow, they're losing money. And I said, I get it, but Uh, they were looking, they were asked to lose 25%, which is a profit margin. Um, I've lost 92. So, uh, I don't have that much sympathy for the landlords. I think the landlords that didn't choose to, or did choose, chose not. That's what I'm trying to say, uh, chose not to participate, made a big, big error. I think we're going to see a lot of vacant buildings and the cost to do the tenant improvements and so on and so forth. And to get people back in who's going to rent a space right now and who's going to rent a space even a year from now. I I'm questioning like, who's going to start a small business a year from now. I don't, I like, you'd have to, you know, just be an absolute animal to decide that you're going to run that risk and more power to you. If you decide that's what you want to do, I'm all for you. But you know, realistically, who's going to do this? So, You know, the the rent program not being extended uh, is an issue. Um, They need to revise it. But at least, because Ryan, we talked quickly, you know, before, off air, we'll call it, about mental health. And the mental health crisis and impact on small business owners um, is going to be insurmountable um I'm sure that my family would say that I've had my moments in the last six months where they were concerned and and I'm not I'm not ashamed of that I'm not afraid of that but I've reached my breaking point three four times like once a month almost you know once every six weeks I hit a wall and I'm just like I'm frustrated and so I'm not the only one and there's people in a lot worse predicaments in that department than i am i've got a wonderful support network but you know at the end of the day regardless of that support network i i still have my moments
1: mm-hmm. no it's that's a fantastic point and you know I, I everyone always cares about mental health until like something until there's a crisis yeah right and then it's like oh well you know you got to take care of whatever all that stuff but it's a great point and it just it just you hear it everywhere that this was no fault like no one did anything wrong you're following regulations and in public health and yet you're losing everything some people are losing everything and there's like of course you'd be stressed that's why we were we were kind of joking but you know that you've a little gray but you know you've kept your hair and and you know still looking like you still got some like adequate sleep um but like I think about myself and I, I was incredibly lucky, you know, even though my my industry of radio is hurting, uh, obviously with businesses not being able to advertise, that I've been able to keep my job. My, my company's done a fabulous job of, of taking care of us uh, as best they can. And I still found myself stressed. I still found myself having mental relapse, like, you know, really hard moments. And truly, I had nothing on the line. Now that goes into a whole other topic I won't get into, but when you think of stress, I mean people think of work stress and they get stressed cuz they get an email or they get in trouble from their boss or a, you know a fight with a coworker how worked up people can get over that. Amplify that by a million as an estimate when your whole livelihood, everything you've worked for for how many years is now it's now being taken away and there's literally nothing you could do about it. Like I just want to put that in people's minds, like how much of course that's going to impact, impact people's mental health. Like it, that is like the wildest thing almost that could happen.
0: 100%. And again, like I said, off the top, it comes down to people can empathize and sympathize, yeah. but until you're staring down this situation at hand, uh, it would be almost impossible for people to understand where we're at. Yeah. I don't blame them for that. It's just, you know, our, our perception is our reality. Right. And if this is not your reality, then it's hard to understand.
1: Yeah. So I'm going like right back to, you know, when we first started hearing of COVID, I know you've been talking to a lot of businesses now you've been having round tables, um, I'm curious. So one of like the quote unquote, you know, left-wing arguments when it comes to all this or socialist arguments or however you want to put that box around it, but it's, well, businesses should have been prepared for this, that they should have had money in the bank. They should have, you know, had emergency funds, like all, all that, those types of arguments. So, you know, I'm curious from, from yourself, your personal perspective, or, you know, other business owners that you you've talked to when COVID was first, announced or became sort of like a threat what was your like initial thought about that was there a worry like did you even think that okay now i'm gonna have to pivot my business that the closing down was even maybe a possibility you know what was kind of that initial reaction um before we went into full lockdown
0: it's funny i had this thought the other day and i remember at night watching uh you know the nighttime news the 11 o'clock news Wuhan and there's certain images about Wuhan that stick out in my mind one uh, how empty it was when they locked everything down and not a car on the roads and they were showing these images and I kept thinking to myself I'm like oh my god thank god that's not here and then I remember this other one um, where it still kind of makes me smile just based on the two different generations but uh, there was an older lady, a senior citizen in a park and in China, and this drone came in and hovered in front of her and told her, you got to go back inside. And I was thinking to myself, can you imagine if we were ever in a position here where a drone had to fly over and tell you to get back in your house? And we, we, we weren't that far from that. I don't think we still are that far from that. So, you know, and I remember thinking to myself, you know, there's no way that COVID's gonna come across. I don't know why. Listen, this is there's no playbook for this. This is our first time experiencing this. And I don't think anybody could have predicted this. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the thing being is on March fifteenth, I had a weird feeling that the whole city was about to shut down. I've had a weird feeling the country was about to shut down. So I called a city councilor friend of mine and I said, Is this warranted? Like and he said I would start calling MPs and MPPs right now. So um, I did that. And then that took my whole life in a completely different Mm -hmm. direction, which we can chat about. But, you know, it's, this is, again, like you said, this is no fault of anybody's. We Everybody respected the rules that were put in place, although flawed. You know, the one thing, Ryan, that I, if I'm mad over something, I'm mad over the fact that Walmart was not roped off for just groceries and pharmacy. I'm mad that Costco was not roped off for just groceries and pharmacy and true essentials. You know, that pair of uh, sandals or whatever to me is not an essential thing that you needed. And so when it comes to the people, one thing too, and I just wanna touch on this quick, is Mm -hmm. that we look at McDonald's, okay? Let's say McDonald's did suffer. And everyone's like, oh, it's been corporate, Canada, blah, blah, blah. That's somebody that has invested in a franchise and they bought that business. So in some ways, McDonald's is still, it's still a small business to somebody. So, you know, McDonald's being fast food, it wasn't, wasn't hurt. But, mm-hmm. you know, the thing is, is that my friend owns Trade Secrets at the Rideau Center, you know, and no auto U students. The LRT is still not working properly. Uh, no tourists. And the mall was closed, and so there's nobody down there. So even though we look at trade secrets on the wall as wow, well, well, who cares? It's a big American corporation or whatever the case is. It's not. It is somebody in our community that owns that business, put their life savings into it because they had a passion for something, and this is where we're at. I know we've kind of like I've been boom, I've deviated all through this, Love but it. <laughs> but these are these are like there's so many things to consider. And, you know, on the flip side of it, I got a message from somebody the other day saying they're concerned about the national debt and we should be focusing on training businesses and retraining businesses to pivot. Uh, I, I, I value everybody's opinion, but I rent stages. I rent speakers. I rent microphones. What, how can I pivot? You know, I rent tables and chairs. How can I, how can I pivot? Like if somebody needs those items at a hospital, I will deliver it and I will do whatever I can, but I can't reposition myself when I rent event equipment into PPE. This chair is not PPE. And, um, and some people did pivot into PPE and there's a lot of great companies like Turling Construction that did just that. And I'm so happy for them that they were able to do that. I would say 99% of businesses serve one type of client, right? Or have one set product and nobody had money to start bringing in other things to try and pivot their businesses. You know, auto special events doesn't say plexiglass to people. It says events. So, you know, like there's so many different sides of recoin, but I think the pressing one is that small business employs over 8 million people in Canada. Um, and if it was any other industry uh airline that employed eight eight million people an engineering firm out of montreal that employed eight hundred eight million people i think we would have seen a different reaction from the federal government
1: it's a good point yeah um you see it a lot more in the states but how many industries get bailouts um and like from what i understand i i mean i don't know much about it but just talking to people on the podcast and friends who own businesses, how, how hard it is to even operate a small business in Canada, like before all this, like even starting with all the you know, regulations and taxes and everything in it, you know, it was never easy to begin with. Um, right. And I, I do want to bring up the point because Ottawa special events, especially, you know, for people who listen in Ottawa, uh, probably know it, but people who listen outside of it, because I just found out I have a ton of listeners in Virginia for some reason. Don't know amazing, in Virginia. But awesome. my friends in in Virginia, um, you know, you when you when when you think about charities, um when they have events or runs or walks for a cure, all that stuff, like they have a stage, they have a microphone, they have speakers. You know, who where do you get that from? Like a business like yours, and I I know through my industry and the people i've talked to that you've been very generous with helping different sorts of charities and different sorts of events throughout the city you know that 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 kind of like makes the city that makes the community just that brings us all together in certain ways all these different events that we go and have fun with you know so when you think okay well it's just an events business what if we what if we lost that and and what if we lost all our events businesses what's the what's the big deal well, then, you know, think of everything once we get back to normal, when people want to hold an event and they have to buy all their own equipment and, and, and stuff that, again, it goes back to your point, which was a great one that unless you, you're in it, it's hard to empathize truly with what's going on. But I did want to like bring that point up because like it, you, you were known throughout the city for, for all the work you do. So like there, there is a great need for, for things like that.
0: I appreciate that and, and you know uh, when the cancer charity comes to us and says they have a thousand dollars to spend on what would have been a five thousand dollar order and we sit there we look at the cause we look at who's behind it and we say we'll do that we'll help you um, and uh, you know who's gonna sponsor these charities I feel very badly. I had a charity reach out and they were looking for a donation and a ticket purchase. And that's not in our cards right now. So we would, where we normally would have bought it. And again, this is not for me to um, say, look at all the wonderful things we've done, but we created something called keep Ottawa warm. So we've got 10,000 people on a mailing list. And then we've got probably 50,000 on social media on all the channels. And so I was getting off for your Virginia listeners. You'll just have to picture that yeah. picture that in your head. So I was getting off Bronson, uh, the Queensway. I was heading eastbound, get off at Bronson. So I got off the freeway and um, at the corner, there was a gentleman, it was February and he asked me if I had any money or asked me if I had any clothes or food or anything. And I said, I don't had to be about minus 35 Fahrenheit. Um, and, He said, I'm going to freeze to death tonight, man. I'm like, I I drove away with that as, okay, I have to do something. I can't let all these people freeze to death. Granted, there's shelters in town. We've got great social services. Uh, Some people can't access them, don't want access them, whatever the case is. So the next day I created something called Keep Ottawa Warm. And I put out to all of our customers, if you have winter clothing that you would like to donate, uh, please drop it off at Ottawa Special Events. So we've done this for the last um, four years. Over the four years, we collected over 10,000 pieces of winter clothing. Mm-hmm. We didn't give it to a charity. We went to the shelters directly ourselves, and we dropped them off ourselves. We didn't want them going to a thrift store, although they played an important role in the ecosystem as well, too. We went and we hand delivered them to the people that desperately needed them. We went out on the street. We handed out people that were sleeping on the street. We said, here, take these jackets, you know, take these sweaters. You're going to need this night. It's freezing out here. You know, at uh, Christmas time every year, we teamed up with Costco. And the last time they did it with us, they gave us 180 frozen turkeys for free. And when we went to pick them up, they said, um you know, here's a $500 gift card, go buy some veggies while you're here. Mm
1: -hmm. And so
0: it was all free. We took it all down to the Mission for Men, the Homeless Shelter for Men in Ottawa. Um, And so these are the things that small business does. And we do it without any fanfare, without any announcement. And so, you know, while, you know, people are wondering, you know, what they can do to help, we're the ones that are generally leading the charge on that help. And, you know, one of the things I remember we put out to at that point, we had so many winter clothes one year. We said, look, if you are struggling, you can come and pick up winter clothes. You can go through. We have them on all of our coat racks. And we were in coat racks. So all the clothes are there. All the boots are there. And a woman called and she said, what's the catch? And I said, there's no catch. And she, she says, I can just come and look through clothing, clothing for my children and for free. And I said, ma'am, if you need it, you are welcome to come nobody will ask you a question, nothing. So she came and she was crying and oh my goodness. But you know, and the other thing that we did too, as well is, you know, we have a cotton candy machine and a popcorn machine, among other things. And we went to Canadian Tire on Clyde for years. And uh, the week before Christmas, we gave out free cotton candy and popcorn, hopefully for a donation. And then, so the one year we raised $4,000 in cash I gave the $4,000 in cash to my staff and I said, go on a shopping spree and buy all the toys for Toy Mountain. And so like the staff loved it, you know, they each got like five, six hundred bucks and they, there's videos on YouTube of them going through the store. It was like the price is right, man. They were just like wheeling their carts and they were so excited. So we filled a full truck with toys for, for kids that are needed, but you know, small business, we're not millionaires and we're we're part of the community ecosystem that tries to give back as much as we can. And generally I would say most of us put ourselves second, third or fourth. Ryan, the, the one advantage and I hate, it's crazy saying that word to the pandemic was that this was my first Canada day off in 10 years. Mm-hmm. And I would, I would start at five o'clock in the morning and I would get home at three o'clock in the morning, a 22 hour day and then sleep a couple hours and go back out. So it's been able to let me push this giant reset button on my life too as to what's important. Um not be out working you know, 14, 15, 20 hours a day. And, you know, it's not healthy. And and so I've really been able to sit back, look at everything that I've that I've gained, looked at everything that I've lost. And if I truly look myself in the mirror and said, Am I any further ahead in 10 years? I think the answer would be no.
1: Mm, right. We've referenced it a couple times but you made the transition to lobbyist. So how did like how did that go about what was that decision like uh, to kind of make this transition while you're and while you're fighting for for your business.
0: It's funny it's funny that you use that word Which because one? lobbyist. Oh. <laughs> so um, here's here's where I'm at. So I'm not sure how much you know about my background, but for 10 years I I worked in the music business and I was a touring guitar player. I'll just show your, I'll just show your audience this. So I have, uh, there we go over here. I have my wall of fame with all the different people that I worked with. So there's like Casey Kasem and I, if you're, you're a radio guy, so you'll have with America's top 40
1: Velvet revolver.
0: Yeah. The soup Nazi from Seinfeld, Larry Tomlin. <laughs> and uh, so anyways, that was my life. That's, that's the only thing that I really knew. And then, so the event transition really wasn't that much of a change, right? right. And so going back to what I was saying earlier, when I spoke to the city councilor and I said, what do I do? What's, what's my move here? And he said, you got to start calling and writing your MPs and your MPPs. So I was like, you know, my dad, I love my father. But my father will call me and he's like, so I wrote a letter to Justin Trudeau today. I'm like, oh God, yeah, this is a, <laughs> man, this is a waste of time. It's like, oh, I sent one to Bill Morneau and I really let him have it. I'm like, dad, do not say you know me. Like, this is crazy. So anyways, um, I sent, I, I became my father overnight. So I sent this email to Catherine McKenna, who's the Minister of Infrastructure, uh, for especially for your American friends. So. I kind of view Catherine McKenna now. She's been kind of promoted again, but I viewed her at the time as number four in Canada. You had the Prime Minister, you had the Finance Minister, you had um, uh, Christian Freeland, who is now the current Finance Minister, and then you had Catherine McKenna, and I, like, she's that high. So I sent her an email. I sent one to Lisa McLeod, who's the Minister of Tourism for Ontario, and, and another one, I can't remember who. But within an hour, And I I requested a meeting, and within an hour I got a note back from Catherine McKenna saying, I will meet with you over zoom. And I was like, maybe dad's not so crazy. So, um, so I met with Catherine McKenna and then that kind of that one phone call, she was so kind. She was so empathetic, whether, whether you like you, you're a liberal or a conservative or somewhere in the middle or on the far sides of either, you know, she was wonderful, and and so it kind of. I said to myself, "Well, maybe maybe your dear old dad's been right." So, I sent a note to Mona Forche, who's a, the minister of the middle class, and she got back to me. She says, "I'll meet with you." I'm like, "Holy!" Oh, so then Pierre Polyev ended up calling me. Marie Frost alone. Um, Bill Moore, knows parliamentary secretary, got hold of me, and he said, "I will uh, meet with you as well too." So the first two was myself in the Ottawa Board of Trade. So. The other ones, I just okay, if this is where we're going, then all small business owners need to have a voice, like straight up. So this term lobbyist. <laughs> I, I had a woman come at me on Facebook and start referring to me as a lobbyist and she wasn't overly friendly with me about it.
1: There's a negative connotation to it for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah. Just, and, and, she said, you know, I had to register myself. I'm like, what do you mean register myself? I'm just trying to, to save my small business and help my friends. Like, and then, so what I ended up doing to protect myself was I did register as a federal lobbyist. I did register as a provincial lobbyist because there are fines involved in, God knows I don't need one more problem in my mm-hmm. life if somebody deems I've been lobbying. Uh, like a guy hosting a podcast, but whatever. So anyway, <laughs> so I registered, and then I've met with the um, with the minister of small business twice for Ontario, um, and uh, I got a note from Pierre Polyhub's guy, who said, "Look, there is a standing committee on finance hearing on the impacts of COVID, and uh, I think you should testify before the House of Commons again." You saw the wall. That is one life. And this is the new life that I've got going on. So this is nothing. I didn't even know that people could testify. Yeah. So, um, and just like non-politicians, I thought, that anyways, I've learned a lot. So I said, sure, I'll do it. So I testified June 2nd uh, before the House of Commons Standing Committee on Finance via Zoom, just like this. And then that started to snowball, and then media started calling me like crazy, um, and they wanted to support me, which is which is amazing. And so I have met with countless ministers. Um, I'm trying to think of if there's anybody else. Oh, and then after the House of Commons, Wayne Easter, who's the chair of the Federal Finance Committee, agreed to host a roundtable with me, which I thought was a pretty cool thing. Um, the shadow minister, the critic of Mary Ng, the minister of small business, uh, James Cumming, he agreed to do a round table with all of small business owners and, uh, and myself. And so, you know, it kind of snowballed. And then I got this phone call or an email actually, sorry, from the minister of small business for Ontario from his office saying that they are doing a study on the impacts of COVID-19 on small business with Queens park and their finance committee. And he said, I'd love to, uh, I'd love for you to apply. So I thought to myself, wow, now the government's asking me to appear as a, as a witness. So I did. And my question to him, and really like my only question was, can I put this out to other small business owners in Ottawa? And he said, absolutely. Bring as many people as you can so i know for sure that i brought 18 people like and it's funny Ryan. Right? I'm, I'm sitting there uh at 44 with my gibson les paul hanging on the wall for my touring days watching the ontario parliamentary channel like i'm watching the greatest documentary like as if i'm watching the michael <laughs> jordan documentary i'm watching everybody testifying before queens park and i'm thinking to myself there's no way this is what my life has become. Yeah, (laughs) And I'm, dude, I'm PBRing it so I can go back and rewatch people. And I'm like, Oh my God, my father. So anyways, um, I did that. I testified before Queens park on August 17th. And then so many people that, you know, too, like Glenn Shackleton from the haunted walk. He did it. Paul Goulet from little raised reptiles. He did it. Um, and all the way down to smaller businesses, but Carla Brionis, who owns Global Pet, Food, Global Pet Foods franchise again, there's that word franchise again. Mm-hmm. Everyone sees Global Pet Foods. Well, that's a woman in our community, an immigrant entrepreneur that started that business, bought the franchise, and this is where she's at now. She also owns a Freshie, same deal. So, you know, as much as we want you to support Ryan's Sandwich Stop over, in your mind, this franchise, this this corporate Conglomerate, no, you're supporting somebody that owns and put their life savings into that corporate conglomerate, right? Mm -hmm. So, anyways, it's it's escalated to a point where um, I allegedly uh, have a meeting with uh, Christian Freeland's right hand man, and you know the, the cool thing is, is I think I've been, I'll use the word successful in arranging these meetings, is that I've been in my opinion, kind, lucid, uh, it's not a screaming match. It is a sit down discussion about the crisis we are in. And I've only had two that will remain nameless for now. Um, that have not agreed to meet with me. They sent in their, um, you know, their employee to, to meet with me. One did, the other one had an employee call me. We chatted for a couple of minutes. I just said, we, we will not meet. I'm like, great. So, um, but I'm not here to focus on the negative. The, the The scenario being is that everybody's taking the time. I was in for a walk on Sunday night at nine o'clock and Bill Morneau at the time, his chief of staff had his right-hand man send me a text saying, Hey, elder Barquez thinks that we should talk. Uh, it was at nine o'clock at night on a Sunday. He goes, are you available tomorrow? I'm like, absolutely. So I think I've built a reputation that I'm here to have an honest and open discussion. No finger pointing. That's not how I do things. It's just like, this is what we need. This is how we're going to survive. Please help.
1: Right. So it sounds like you've been, you know, working at it for a while, very successful in the meetings. Um, so I, I, am I mean, I know the goal of these meetings is to improve the situation. Obviously I'm just curious of like this whole process. Cause obviously nothing new has really changed. Like is it a lot of just like talk? Look at us. We're we're meeting with them. We're doing our job. Is it actually like there's being actionable steps being taken? Because I I know the whole government bureaucracy is very complicated and, and cumbersome. But I'm just curious. Like, do you feel satisfied that after you meet with them, that like a real change can be made, or is it at least the process is really starting to pick up?
0: So that's a great question. A lot of people either ask me that question or they send me a message saying you're wasting your time. Yeah. Or or they send me a message saying thanks for everything. It's like that's kind of where I'm at. And so here's where I here's where I'm at. I am one voice with a big supportive following right now. Um of probably ten across the country. So I, I'd say I'm in like the top ten influencers of politics and like i'm looking at the canadian federation of independent business being there i'm looking at certain chambers of commerce um like the calgary chamber of commerce yesterday over the rent program on twitter like they were devastated there's somebody in, in new brunswick yesterday that you know got the cbc for new brunswick to cover the story which is great there's two i'll answer the question two ways one On June 24th, that was the meeting with Wayne Easter, who was the chair of the finance committee. And my thing to him at the time, because the SACRA program was going to run out then, I said, Wayne, what are we going to do about the rent program? Because you cannot not extend that program and have businesses go back July 1, Canada Day, and... Lose their businesses. It it doesn't make sense, and so I, rightfully or wrongfully, I believe that conversation with all of the Ottawa small business owners on there saying the same thing, got an extension of the Secra program, or at least was a voice in it—the last voice they needed, whenever the case, wherever that fit in. I believe that piece of the puzzle was part of that phone call. So moving forward, I agree that you know there hasn't been that much forward momentum. Uh hasn't been that much change. Although the SIBA loan which was the last day was to apply was August 31st. That was extended. So I do believe that while it's not happening tomorrow, while it's not happening a week from now, it happens a month from now, whatever the timeline is, I think that it's very important that people have a voice, they express Mm -hmm. that voice and I would rather, Ryan, if everything collapses, I would rather I could live with myself knowing that I did everything I possibly could than to say if I'd only got involved. And, you know, the the thing is, is um, it's funny. I'm at the point now where I'm, I'm meeting with opposition. So my, my first thought was go after the, Political party that's in power. So I've gone after the opposition, or the oppositions come after me, which is a good thing. Saying what do what can we do to help pressure the government for change? Mm. So after my testimony on the seventeenth before Queen's Park, Joel Harden, who is the NDP MPP for Ottawa Centre, yeah, alive. This guy has been amazing. We've spoken three times since. He's like, "How can I help? What can I do?" where can I apply the pressure? And so that's where I'm at now. Like, you know, I've met with everybody. I've tried to have second meetings. I've been turned down truthfully saying you've already met once. And my argument there dude is that I met with X, Y, and Z April 15th. Hmm. We are now September. Everything was changing so quickly that yes, I get it that we met in April, but every month every week every day is a different situation with covid so I, I would like to see them meet with me again over the programs that have been implemented and again i'm not ungrateful i i i know that programs were implemented quickly and everybody's doing the best that they can but there just there needs to be some revisions here
1: right so that's a good uh segue into my next question you know what you've talked to so many different business owners and, you know, everyone has their own kind of diverse set of needs and and everything, but, you know, in, in summary, just from what you gathered, what would have, if you were in charge uh, of, of implementing these protections for small business, what would you have done (laughs) and uh, what would you, you know, institute moving forward to, to ensure that, you know, the businesses that are still open continue to be open. And especially if we do hit a second wave where we, where we have to put in more restrictions and, and close up a lot more.
0: Sure. And there's a, there's a couple of things I want to touch on if that's okay, because yeah. that, that spawned other thoughts that I had that I was going to mention before. So you're saying that some people are wondering why we weren't prepared for this. Yeah. We actually were. And what ended up, and by that, I mean, we all paid into business interruption insurance oh, and business, God. business interruption insurance mm. is to protect us if we cannot operate. Okay. So the problem being is that the insurance companies all decided that a pandemic is not covered under business interruption insurance. <laughs> <laughs> so that's one of the, that's one of the biggest things where, you know, I paid tens of thousands of dollars into coverage Now, because I try again, I try and look at both sides of the coin with everything. Uh, Business interruption insurance covers you if your business burns down, uh, floods, whatever the case is. And I can look at it and I can say, okay, it's not just my business that's on fire right now. It's every single business across Canada. So how are the insurance companies supposed to cover that? So I made a suggestion to my insurance broker that, just give me back my premiums that I paid. I paid tens of thousands of dollars in premiums. This will at least cover me for a little bit. The answer was no. And I've had no claims. So uh, the insurance companies have been hiding behind a force majeure clause, which is something I brought up at Queens park. And I, I just said, it's unacceptable. If you look at the Ottawa citizen today, this is, um, this is uh, unbelievable. So insurance companies now have stopped offering policies to businesses. And one of the businesses that the insurance company dropped, are you, you're sitting down there, bud? you're ready for this. Yeah. They dropped the city of Ottawa. And so the city of Ottawa had to turn around and get a new insurance and it doubled. So I'll send, I'll send you, I'll send you the link. So it's not just Mike Wood who owns a small business. It's not just Tim Smith that owns a business and, you know, Mary Rogers that owns her business. It is, even the city is experiencing these problems with the insurance companies. So what's going to happen with that? An extra $6 million. Where's that going to come from? Taxes. Taxes are going to go up because the insurance companies aren't playing ball. Um, And so, you know, there's so many different parts to this. If you, if you want to just also recap the last bit of what you said, then I can come back to it, but I'm so passionate about the insurance companies that have, that have literally let down all of these people,
1: you know. Yeah, literally did not do what insurance is for, and why we exactly. pay into it. Um, and I don't think it's any surprise that in, insurance companies are doing this. Um, thankfully, they're not sponsoring any of this, and I hate them too. So, um, <laughs> but I was just, you know, wondering. So, you know, if you had that magic crystal ball and you could solve all the problems here, how would you? How would you? have protected businesses better like what would you have done that the government didn't do to protect them kind of in the past as we moved into this point and like what would you put and do moving forward sound like i'm, I'm asking like as if you're a politician like what are your policies on but um you know just to, so people understand like what we can do to conceivably help small business like so, like with withstand everything that's happening
0: sure so no and it's a great question so number one, all of the different countries around the world have done different things, mm-hmm. right? Um, the United States have done different things. Sweden uh, was no lockdown. Mm-hmm. And they went for the herd immunity. I, am, I don't think I'm for that. I'm not, I'm not that far on that side of things. I think the government did the right thing by shutting us down. And I think what we have to do is we have to look at the country of Denmark where they, they they implemented something you can find it online on kpmg's website as well too, called the freezer method. so what they did was they took all small businesses in Denmark and they put them in the freezer, they closed the door, and they covered operating expenses they didn't you couldn't make any money you couldn't you know this was but basically they covered all of your op costs, so uh, I think that should, could have been better looked at. I think everything that kind of almost comes back to the sliding scale of things. You know, I have a friend of mine and she was devastated because she owns a store that was mandated closed and people were going to the big box stores and they were saying, Oh, do you have balloons? Oh, do you have this? And she actually went into Walmart and there was a pinata hanging there. She owns a party store Hmm. and it was the same pinata that she was selling, but she was closed, but Walmart was allowed to remain open. So Loblaws, bless them, they, you know, people, once people start asking any business enough, hey, do you carry this? We all get it. You know, if you want the prime example, we got enough calls for mannequins um, for people doing trade shows and they want to put clothes on them that we bought mannequins. And so Loblaws actually had an online ad saying, we now carry your non-essential essentials. And so they knew, they knew exactly what was going on. They took advantage of it. And then listen, small business would have done the same thing over a box store. But the problem is that the regulations put us in a position where we couldn't, we couldn't open. So, you know, I would have done probably some sort of freezer method. I would have definitely had everything on a sliding scale. Um, I think the CERB program should have been on a sliding scale. Now, Ryan, like think about this for a second. If you're on EI, you can work X amount, and then your EI gets cut back. So the SERP program, where it was 2,000 bucks, and at one point, if you made a dollar over, you were out. They claw back your two grand. If then they came in, they said, okay, well, you make up to $1,000. But if you made a 1,001, they would take back the 2,000. And so people on minimum wage, and i'm talking about youth you know what i mean i get it that an adult with family obligations but minimum wage is designed as a starting employment spot for you know young people that are getting into the workforce they figured it out that if they worked 17 hours a week times 14 dollars an hour works out to 238 then if you take that and you multiply it by 4 for the month, it works out to just shy of 960 bucks. So all these people were only willing to work 17 hours a week. They wouldn't work any more than that because they would lose their two grand. So like EI, it should have all been on a sliding scale. The more money you make, the less you make on the SERB, and it would encourage people to get back to work. Right now, a lot of people have they're like, oh, "I'll wait till the SERB's over," and and you know the the, the crazy thing too is. Talking about restaurants and what's coming next, dude. We are a month away, two months at the most, of non-dining outside temperatures. Mm. How's this going to work for everybody? Where you can only have fifty people inside, but uh, Costco, it's you know if you if you own a restaurant that has five thousand square feet, it's a big restaurant, versus a one that has hundred square feet, you can have up to fifty people inside. That's the law. But the thing is, is that Costco, you know, it doesn't matter how many people are, in. and I guess that's based on square footage as well too. But the thing is, though, is that they come out with these little tiny, you know, gummy bears, and we're like, oh, gummy bear, Ooh, gummy bear, but then it stops at some point, right? So
1: that's a good point. Uh, yeah, you're right. Like, why? Why does you can only have 25 people in the restaurant, but a thousand people in the store. You know, I go to Walmart now and there's, you don't even have to line up anymore. Like you just know nope. people just roll right in and it, it creates that, like you said, that, that, that double standard of what's fair and, and what's right. I, I did want to touch on something. Cause I just, I, I always love to ha- play a devil's advocate type thing because one of the sure. common arguments with that, well, you know, if, why should people go back to work if, you know, businesses aren't willing to, you know, match that $2,000 that the SERB the is getting it right? Like businesses should be paying that if they want their employees back. Like that's what they've deemed a livable wage. I'm just curious. I don't know if that's ever been brought up to you or if you kind of have a response to that type of the argument, but it's one I see a lot and one particularly from people my age, around my age.
0: Okay, hey, so $2,000 is, in my opinion, not a, even a livable wage, right? Yeah, it's tight. Nice. $24,000 a year, I don't think anybody is – that's not what we're aspiring to. That's not going to get you a, whole, a, a weekend away in Toronto, You know, your rent, your food, your kids, wh- whatever the case is. But I would say this. I would say small business would be more open to this discussion if it wasn't a pandemic and our numbers weren't down – 92%, right. 50%, 70%. Today, I get it. That's an ask. And I think that's something that if you get the right person, we'll use, we'll use the word lobbying. We get the right person lobbying for that. Um, even a young person. like it's never If you've never been involved before, it's never too late to start. So, you know, the thing is, is that if they can, if that group, that interest group can organize themselves, then yeah. Sure, I, I'm, I'm all for it. The only thing is, is right now, small business doesn't have, in some cases, enough money to bring the entire staff back. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that um, it's something that will be viable anyways, my opinion for probably a year. Yeah. But I'm, I'm not against it.
1: It's very interesting that you would say if people get involved in government, that they can make change. I don't know if people realize that. I think they just would rather tweet obscene things at their ministers and, and hopefully they just listen.
0: <laughs> um, that, that, gets you, that gets you nowhere. And, you know, I had an MP DMing me on Twitter this morning because she knows that the response she's going to get is going to be professional, courteous. You know, there's, there's I think there was a thing that you probably saw online too that Mike Tyson said where social media has made people way too comfortable uh, saying whatever they want without getting punched in the face, right? So oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's pretty much where that's at. So
1: yeah. Um, before I let you go, uh, uh, how can you know? Besides someone like me who works in the media as a podcast, can maybe help get the message out a little bit. But like your average day person who uh, like wants to like wants their favorite restaurant to succeed, they want their favorite store to you know be successful. Um, how can we help? Other than just, you know, purchasing or supporting you financially, like how can we help further along the cause of business? How can we get involved um, beyond just the power of our our dollar?
0: Great question. So uh, reviews, review our businesses online if you've had a great experience. You know, a lot of people just type in, you know, uh, Tacos Ottawa. And then they will see the restaurants that are listed that sell tacos. It's like, if you've been there, go on and review it. And, and, you know, if you haven't had a good experience, let's just say that's the case, please don't rate review, call us and we'll, we'll fix the problem. We'll have you back. We'll make it right. Um, You know, share things that we post on social media. So other people that may not be aware that we exist, these are all things that that don't cost anything, you know, talk, marketing, at the end of the day, is all about creating awareness and turning that awareness into sales and demand. And we need uh, our fans of our businesses to be our biggest marketers mm-hmm. and just help us create more awareness that we still exist.
1: It's a, it's a good point and something I, I bring up often because you know, would I like my podcast to be a business one day? Yes. Is it there? No. Yet, hopefully, but.
0: It will, it will get it, man. This has yeah. been amazing. Well, I, but I even, love
1: it. You know, working in radio, working marketing, working with charities, all these different things, talking with business owners, like I, 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 I've come to the, the, the conclusion that if you love something, like you have to participate in, in the brand or in that type of thing, or else it won't sustain, whether that's your favorite business or your favorite radio station or your favorite musician or your favorite you know, YouTuber, whatever it is, whatever your favorite thing is, you know, if you don't participate actively, there's a very strong chance that it will eventually go away. And then you get, that's when you get the people who go like, oh, I can't believe you made the chamber, you." you know, get all angry and, you know, can't believe it that this thing's now gone away. But like you never, you know, there's, there's, like you said, there's free ways you can help. And, um, you have to actively participate in things that you enjoy for it to succeed. Basically, that's the biggest thing I've learned.
0: One hundred percent. And you know, here's the thing, if we all do go away, small businesses, there's going to be no one left to support your child's sports team. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: You know, we're not going to be able to afford to put children into hockey and, and, and dance lessons and give them all these wonderful things that we had as kids. And, uh, so if you want to see that perspective stay and, and because, you know, I haven't seen a Nepean house league hockey team called, you know, the Nepean Walmarts. I haven't seen them called, you know, the Ottawa West Costco's, you know, we rely on small business to support the, our interests and what we want to do and our families and, I think a lot of times it may go slightly unnoticed that somebody Mm -hmm. out of their own pocket essentially, you know, said, I'll sponsor your hockey team and and everything this year, your soccer team or basketball or whatever. And so I think we all have a responsibility to make sure that small business survives so we can keep supporting those in our community.
1: Absolutely. So lastly, uh, I know you, this being September 1st, I know you have a meeting with the city of Ottawa. What's kind of next? on your schedule with whether it's meetings or progressing this cause.
0: Sure. So Thursday at three, I am meeting with the mayor and four other city councilors and Ottawa small business owners. And you know, the thing is too, right, is that, um, some people aren't totally sure and no fault of their own. Uh, cause this is, more people have been involved now, I think following politics than ever before, Mm. you know, what's a municipal issue, what's a provincial issue, what's a federal issue. So the municipality laws or municipal laws don't really allow the city to get involved with funding and and bailouts and resources. But again, it's coming down. to like the opposition. I'm going to lean on the mayor to reach out to his contacts at the fed and the province and say, listen, this is what we're hearing from Ottawa small business owners. This is what they need. This is the crisis situation. There's the tipping point and go from there. Um, and then, you know, I actually, again, not being involved in politics before, I was asked to submit a brief to the standing committee on finance for the 2021 pre-budgetary consultations, uh, which I did. I sent that to the house of commons and, um, so they are saying that I'll probably be called to testify again. Um, and I have a brief into the premier's office. I've heard from several people that the premiers wanted to meet with me, um, Premier Ford, for the people that aren't from Ontario. And uh, so I'm just waiting to hear back. I've got all of my notes in. I know that the premier is overloaded with school right now. Mm. and with the uh four teachers unions taking issuing a legal challenge against the plan the back to school plan so i'm sure i'm not going to hear from the premier for a little bit but again um i have a round table coming up with joel harden uh the ottawa center mpp and you know we're just going to keep trying to push this message as long as we can
1: yeah absolutely well, man uh it is like it's been incredible to like follow this whole thing especially for someone who doesn't completely understand it but to see all your posts your videos uh it's been really cool and it's been fascinating talking to you and learning a little bit more um about this subject so I really appreciate your time. Um, Amazing man I,
0: this has been awesome. I've been I've done a lot of these man and this one's been awesome. I love it.
1: That's uh, that's what I love about podcasts. Um off script you know you you can go on as long as you want there's not really you know, that, that kind of line you have to, to tow. So no, it's been great. Really fascinating. I think a lot of people are going to pick up a lot. And I, I really wanted to make sure people understood the value of small business. Um, because you. like I said, like right off the top, one of the first things I mentioned uh when COVID started is, yeah, I'm, I'm worried about the virus. I'm worried about my family, but I am extremely concerned about the economic impacts and the mental health implications that will follow after this virus, you know, we're going to be dealing with it for a long, long time. The impact. We are. And it, it's scary. So, uh, like, we should all be informed and, and understand what's at stake. If people want to follow you, I always give people a chance to get their plugs in, um, whether it's your op eds, your, your website. Uh, where can people check out some of your stuff?
0: Sure. So, on Twitter, it's at Mike Wood Ottawa. Uh People can, I do have a small business advocacy page on Facebook. Mm-hmm which is at Mike Wood Ottawa. And I think for LinkedIn, you have to double check, but I'm pretty sure I went with Michael Wood for, for Michael oh. Wood Ottawa or Ottawa, Michael Wood, something along that line for LinkedIn. Um, I thought maybe I better say the full name um, <laughs> on that platform. Right. But uh, you know, on Thursday we're going to be live streaming the meeting with myself and the mayor and the city council. Okay. So, you know, you can, people can add me friend me on Facebook. I'm close to 5,000. So they'll cut me off. But you know, I'm here. I'm, I'm here to support and do whatever I can.
1: Awesome. Well, again, appreciate it. Best of luck. Uh, get some sleep. Happy. Thank you, man. <laughs> but appreciate it. Uh, be good out there.
0: Wonderful. Thanks, Brian. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes.